0: Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the African Five-Aside podcast. Today is the final episode of Match Day 1. Throughout Match Day 1, we've been looking at uh, African heads of state and their relationship with football. And uh, today is the final match day. So today is the day we're going to be profiling our final head of state and we're going to have our Five-Aside team um and the next match day match day two will be a completely different topic so thanks for sticking around if you haven't seen the earlier episodes please go check them out and once again this podcast and everything on this channel is brought to you by the good folks over at com. if you haven't checked that out yet please do because we have some really really great content coming out uh, ahead of the african cup of nations we will be in the ivory coast for the african cup of nations Uh, And I really think that the kind of coverage that you're going to get there is unique. You're not going to find it uh, anywhere else. So, without further ado, let's introduce the final member of our Five Aside squad for match day one. And that is Zambia's Kenneth Kaunda. So, before we begin, let's do a quick bio of Kenneth Kaunda. I mean, his father is a reverend. His mother is a teacher. Um, actually, it says online that she was the first African uh, woman to teach in colonial northern Rhodesia. And for those that don't know, northern Rhodesia is the colonial name for Zambia. Um, so that's quite a distinction. And you can see throughout his life that um, religion religion, and football are very, very important to Kenneth Kaunda. Um He talks about, uh, you know, getting a good education at home following his parents' footsteps, and he also becomes a teacher, reading the likes of Mahatma Gandhi and being influenced by it, the, the words really going straight into his heart. Um, and then he bounces around Africa in Zimbabwe, Tanzania, and he also uh, teaches around the continent. In 1949, he gets a little politically active. Um, he's one of the founding members of the Zambian chapter, chapter, excuse me of the ANC. Everybody knows the ANC from South Africa as really the, the leading faction that fought against apartheid, but they also had a branch in Zambia. He's imprisoned in 1955 for his political activities, um, and then he switches political parties to the United National Independence Party, the UNIP, and, uh, and he rises the ranks there, and he wins an election and becomes the first president of the Zambian Republic in 1964. So that's a very brief, bio of Kenneth Kaunda, and now that we've got that out of the way, let's check out how football was influential for him, how he loved football, and how he instituted uh, different reforms to try and spur on the development of football in Zambia. So what you have to know about Zambia is that football was extremely popular, uh, really from independence but even prior to independence and this isn't something that we've talked about throughout match day 1 because we've been focusing on African football history from about 1957 in the conf- the creation of the the Confederation of African Football and CAF um, with you know Gamal Abdel Nasser um, but football was brought to the continent via you know blue collar Europeans um, who were brought to Africa to build infrastructure for the European colonies. So we're talking about, you know, people that work on uh, laying down train tracks, people that work in the shipping docks, um, really like that kind of blue collar manual labor. They're the ones that brought football uh, to the African continent and they were mostly playing within themselves. But then you also had uh, missionary schools and, you know, some of the institution, the civiliza- civilizing institutions uh, bring sport and football as a sort of way that they believe that they could instill good values in the local indigenous population, which is extremely paternalistic and insulting, kind of. But that was one of the reasons why sport was also brought into the African continent. I mean, when I say sport, I mean, you know, the football, for example. Um, and so they even had a, a name for this doctrine called muscular Christianity. And Dr. Peter Aladji from Michigan State University um, talks about this in his book, African Soccer Scapes. And we know that Kenneth Kaunda's parents, you know, were religious and, and involved in the in the Christian uh, faith. And that's probably where he encountered football for the first time, uh, actually, in those missionaries, in those schools. And what I'm going to say here is important, because unlike Gamal Abdel Nasser, unlike President Mobutu of Congo and Zaire, um, we think and scholars think that kenneth kaunda actually loved football you know the others we said we weren't really sure if they loved football we they mostly instrumentalized it and used it for political means and diplomatic influence but for example the author and sports scholar david goldblatt argues that kenneth kaunda was a rarity and i'm quoting kenneth kaunda was a rarity an african president who not only backed football but also actually liked it um So, for some of the arguments that he makes, is for example, um, you know, President Mobutu, after the humiliation of the 1974 World Cup, never went to the stadium again. You know, Um, even Dr. Kwame Nkrumah, who we also spoke about, who's also in our team, uh, once he was exiled and and moved to Guinea, never again did he write or speak about football in his memoirs or his letters. So, it leads to really credible evidence that. Maybe they didn't really love football, but they knew how to use it. But that's not the case with Kenneth Kounda. Immediately after Zambia gets its independence in 64 and Kohunda is president, you start seeing policies that capitalize on that enthusiasm for football. Um, and so you have former British players such as Phil Wosnam, Fred Goodwin. Um, they're coming to Zambia to conduct coaching courses. You have players who end up being like player coaches. Jackie Sewell was with City of Lusaka FC. Tony Castella with Rhone United FC. Ian Greaves with Rokana United FC. And uh, you had, you know, these clubs creating links, playing matches, friendlies against the likes of Leicester City, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Newcastle United, Cardiff City, and so on and so forth. Um, actually, the fact that Zambia were doing this in the 60s, that's quite rare on the African continent. Um Ghana had some experience playing a lot of European nations in the 50s and 60s, but nothing like this. And it really led to very early success in this country's history. The other important reform that Kenneth Kaunda did was um, he, like Ahmed Sekuture focused on mass education. Um, at the time of independence, Zambia only had 100 university graduates. Um, I believe it was around five or 6,000 um Zambians had been to school for been to secondary school for more than a year or two. So there was a real lack of formal education uh, that they really needed to address. So schools are being built and school teams are also being built. And players like Moses Simwala and Akim Musange, who later played in the national team, they were um, they were quite Influenced and th- they were really came through through these school teams, and these school teams also went on uh, European tours and, and played uh, all over uh, northwestern Europe mostly. And so, when you listen to Zambia speak, they'll say that the 1970 team that was the most impressive team, that was the best team in Zambian football history, despite the fact that they never won uh, any silverware. But you had, for example, one of the best players of that generation, one of the best players in African football history, is Godfrey Chitalu. Godfrey Citello is known uh, for having the most ridiculous goal-scoring record in football. (laughs) If you remember that crazy season where Lionel Messi, I want to say that he scored like was it 80 or 90 goals in a calendar year, and everybody was saying that that's the record. Godfrey Citello scored more than 100 goals in a year, and it's all documented. That's a record. I know Lionel Messi is doing it at Barcelona, but Godfrey Citello was doing it in the local league, and, and everything is recorded, and it's still a hell of a feat. Others like Bernard Chanda were also good. You had a a really great generation. Um, And they get to the 1974 AFCON final and they lose to Zaire, um, Mobutu Zaire. And we speak about that in an episode of Match Day One. If you want to go back to the Mobutu episode, uh, we talk about that AFCON uh, in some detail. So President Kaunda, uh, or at this time, you know, he gets in the habit of showing up to the stadium. And unlike, you know, Sekuture from Guinea, who's in our, in our five-a-side team, would come around at halftime waving his handkerchief in a convertible car, driving around the track. Uh, Mobutu would show up as well. I, these presidents usually, except for Gamal Abdel Nasser, the rest of them, they would show up and they would shake hands with players and, and sometimes make speeches at matches. Kenneth Kaunda would actually go onto the pitch, juggle, you know, bounce the ball on his head a few times. Um, and it's really, it shows like, again, he's reading Gandhi, He's more affable, he's more personable. Uh, He has this um, doctrine of African and Zambian humanism, uh, which is based on three tenets, mutual aid, trust, and loyalty to the community. And for him, football is a manifestation of all of that. If you have players or people practicing football on a mass level, it's so that they can build on those three tenets and be a credit to their society. And so, that ju- I'd say all of this so you can get an idea of him and, and his personality. Kenneth Kownda was not somebody that was, unlike Mobutu or Sekuture, who were, you know, like, I'm not saying he wasn't a little authoritarian, but they were accused of being murderous, credibly. Um, Kenneth Konda is not on that. It's not like that, really. So, he got somebody that's a little more playful, somebody that cares more about religion, probably more God-fearing, um, and he loves football. Uh, so, in his own words, at the, after the AFCON, uh, sorry, before sending them off to the AFCON in Egypt, an AFCON that, by the way, Muhammad Ali attends uh, b- prior to his uh, fight, the Rumble in the Jungle. He says, uh, in his own words, sport was a universal recreation which helped develop a sound mind and a sound body. Apart from acting as a catalyst to character building, football provides fertile soil in which to plant the important seed of comradeship at all levels. And so you see, again, sport for him leads to humanism, Zambian humanism, and that for him creates a healthy society. So that's one of the reasons why he can justify loving sport so much. Um, but the real reason why I've included Kenneth Kaunda in this uh, match day, uh, he's not like the, the biggest name, He maybe he's not as famous as uh, Nkrumah or, or Gamal Abdel Nasser. His side wasn't as successful, but he institutes a model here that I think is very fascinating, and I think is still relevant to this day. In the 1980s, Kaunda pushes uh, national enterprises, conglomerates like the Zambia Consolidated Copper Mines, uh, the ZCCM, to invest huge sums in football development. And what you have is basically companies, even companies like BP or Shell, who are there usually to exploit the mines in the Copper Belt and in, in the, Zamb- the north of Zambia. And what they have to do, uh, it's not that they have to, but they want to suck up to Kaunda a little bit, and they want to show that they're, you know, investing in the society. What they end up doing is they end up um, con- con- basically sponsoring a lot of football, and they even end up partnering up with teams. And this happens as well uh, in a few different countries across the African continent. So we're going to talk about it as a model. So you have. You know, your sporting associations. These will typically be, um, you know, non-profit associations that can get um, subsidies, you know, from like a Ministry of Youth and Sport. Usually they have a board and members can be able to, you know, they'll be able to vote for the president and the board and so on and so forth. And I mean, a good example of this will be like, for example, Esperance de Tunis. Um, Maybe they're not getting subsidies, but they're an association and each member of the club can have the right to vote for, you know, the president and the vice president of the club, uh, and so on and so forth. Then you have something called, uh, you have like LLCs pretty much, you know, like uh, Société Sportive Par Action, basically where shareholders can buy shares in a club, and that's really much like the the Premier League model now, um, and that's what we have in, in places like Algeria, for example. Uh, where, you know, private businessmen can technically buy shares and you know on the Algeria Stock Exchange. And uh, you're really reliant on the wealth of your shareholders to, to really bankroll and fund you. But you have another model, and this is a model that's really taking place in a lot of socialist uh, republics like Algeria in the 1970s or Zambia in the 1980s, and that's where you have national enterprises, um, things like, you know, the Zambian... Uh, consolidated copper mines in Algeria, for example, Sonatrak, the biggest hydrocarbon company in Africa, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, the, they come together and they'll sort of become um, like a, a, pa- a partner with the club. So, for example, Sonatrach owns MC of Algiers um, and you have, you know, like clubs like Encana, uh, Red Devils, Power Dynamos. These are all, you know, Uh, enterprises that have partnered up with uh, football clubs. Why is that important? Like, especially in in the heydays of the social, (coughs) of these, (coughs) excuse me, why is that important? You know, in the heydays of these, like, socialist republics, what you had was players ended up being employees. So for example, uh, talk about GS Kabylie in Algeria, who won two Champions League titles in 1981 and 1990. Uh, When I spoke to the players then, they told me, like, you know, we would go to work in the morning, in a factory for, like, three, four hours, and then in the afternoon we would go train. And they didn't mind it so much because when the playing career was over, they were f- they were trained in something. They had a job waiting for them, you know, and even the salaries. The salaries were, like, um, set, completely set on seniority and how long you worked there and everything. It had nothing to do with your skill on the pitch or the, the personality that you had. And so as a result, the clubs were better structured. They were safer and more secure economically. And... Um, Although, although they were not professional in the sense of the word as we see it nowadays, uh, you know, like in the Premier League. Uh, and they were not really money-making machines as clubs can be nowadays. And so these peristatal conglomerates, um, that's why I kind of wanted to throw Kenneth Kaunda in there and I wanted to talk about it as a model and explore it as a model. Is there a future for it? I actually believe there is. Again, I'm gonna talk about Algeria because I know it best. Algeria in 2000 and I believe, nine or 11 uh, wanted to move away from clubs being sporting associations and they wanted to move them to being, you know, private companies. It didn't really work. It's because African football and, you know, football in Africa is not necessarily a profit-driven activity. Uh, Businessmen are not going to go invest their money in a club where they're going to get insulted if they don't win the league, and they're just going to keep bleeding money time and time and time again. Some will because, you know, especially the biggest clubs – that gives you a lot of credit and a lot of clout, but many are going to say, "What's the point? Why am I doing this?" And so, what's happening now in Algeria, ten years on, is that no businessmen invested in the clubs, you know, except for one or two, and then they've been indicted for corruption. And supporters are now asking the state uh, to actually bring a national enterprise so that they can uh, <laughs> so that they can have some security. And this happened with USM of Algiers. MC of Algiers was already like this for for more than ten years now. It happened with GS Kabylie. It happened with ES Setif. It's happened with all clubs in Algeria practically, where supporters are asking the states to find a national enterprise that can bankroll their club. Players are obviously no longer going to be employees uh, of you know these national enterprises or these state-owned companies. But what you will find is that their states will now all of a sudden have a lot of influence over the club that they're sponsoring. And that's something to keep an eye on. That's something that's very interesting. Anyways, th- that kind of financial structure and stability brought about another great period in Zambian football history, really, from the mid-1980s to the mid-1990s. Um, and obviously, wh- that, around that time, the team is known actually as the KK11, Kenneth Kaunda 11. How many presidents can say that they, you know they named their team after th- themselves? Actually, in Match Day 1, maybe we could say <laughs> that the DR Congo Leopards are named after, uh, technically, Mobutu uh, and his abacost And we could say that uh, maybe the Sili Nacional from Guinea are also named after the PDG in Guinea. So another reason why you should go listen to those episodes on Match Day 1. Um, but there were he was so omnipresent. Uh, the players really played for him. He would be in a stadium all the time. And he was really known as like the number one supporter of the national team. And they had a great 1988 Olympic Games. They were finished first in the group. They beat Italy, uh, but they were dumped out in the knockout stages to West Germany and uh, Jürgen Klinsmann. Uh, Kalusha Bwalya emerged as, until this day, I think, the best Zambian player of all time. Uh, he scored a hat trick in that in those Olympic Games, I believe, against Italy. Um, in 1993, there's that horrible air disaster where um, most of the first team actually perishes um, in off the coast of Gabon, uh, and just a year later, with a bunch of youngsters and, and players that hadn't been too capped before, Kalusha Buelia leads Zambia to the 1994 AFCON final. You know how hard that is to do in, in Tunisia? And they just lose to Nigeria. Um, that golden age of Nigeria, by the way, you're JJ Kosha, Sande Olise, uh, Rashidi Yakini, etc. In 96 AFCON, they finished third place as well. So Kenneth Konda by then is, is gone, you know, after the fall of the Berlin Wall and uh, all these countries across the African continent are doing away with, you know, one party rule, and they're opening up to the, you know, democratic movements, Kounda does the same. And as a result, uh, you know, he's voted out in the early 90s. But it's not really the kind of, you know, he's not voted out and exiled and everything. He still remains, you know, uh, somebody that's involved in Zambian political life and somebody that could affect positive change in his country in other ways. And so... That's really the reason why I wanted to include Kenneth Kaunda in uh, in the um, African Five-Aside match day, sorry, in the African Five-Aside team for match day one. It's because of his vision and different ways that he thought he could affect change in African football, especially through the idea of having parastatal conglomerates uh, in these national enterprises invest in football. And that's it, I can't believe we're finished. Season 1, it's not season 1, it's Match Day 1 of the African Five Aside podcast. To recap, we have Gamal Abdel Nasser in goal, we have uh, President Mobutu uh, in attack, we have um, Kwame Nkrumah, we have uh, Ahmed Sekuture, and we have Kenneth Kaunda in defense. We're going to play a 1-3-1. One, one. That's going to be our formation. So I, I really hope you all enjoyed and appreciated uh, Match Day 1 of the African Five Aside podcast. If you haven't listened to the previous episodes, please go do and um, go do that, and, and I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, as you can see, or, or maybe hear, we're making some changes. This podcast is going to start incrementally getting a little bit better, and, and it's going to be produced with higher quality, both on the audio and visual side of it. And, uh, and yeah, just keep it locked, keep it posted, because we're going to start Match Day soon as early as next week. And, yeah, AFCON coverage is really going to start ramping up. So thanks for listening. Really appreciate all of you. Uh, Subscribe if you haven't. Leave uh, a five-star review. Leave a comment. Uh, It's always appreciated. And I try to respond to everybody. And uh, thank you. And we'll speak to you in a few days for the African Football Roundup. Peace.